Please. This is our podcast about culture, politics, and Christianity on our relentlessly optimistic take. Radically, Radically optimistic. every time. <laughs> it's, it's embarrassing. Okay. And today we're talking about a contentious issue dun, dun, dun. here in the Barclay House and in the world. What to do about teens and social media. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Should be fun. Mainly because I wrote a paper about it in my day job at the Center for Growth and Opportunity at Utah State University. Yes, and you put something out in the wild. Put something out in the wild. My name is on it. What should policymakers do about social media and minors? We use the word minors. What is that age? O, not diff- coal miners. <laughs> I think that every time. Maybe other people don't. <laughs> Definitely did not. But now I will. <laughs> Hi ho. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Social media and the seven dwarves. So, what do you? Do, what age is a minor defined as? Anyone below eighteen. Eighteen. But okay. so I think teens, right? It's it's thirteen and eighteen, generally speaking. But like we're not really talking about little kids because hopefully little kids aren't on social media. <laughs> well, yes, but tweens often come up, right? Like studies showing like eight to twelve year olds usually mm. using social media platforms. Okay. Even though uh, there is current federal law governing and pr- having extra privacy protections for users of you know digital services under the age of thirteen. Okay. But what that really means, because those requirements are so onerous. What that usually means is uh, no company, very few companies out there are actively marketing or designing their products for users below the age of 13. That's why you get those notifications before signing up for Facebook, whatever. It's like, are you 13 or older? Okay. It's like most platforms say you can't use our platform if you're under the age of 13. But that's not really enforceable. Well, we'll we'll get into that. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Because I think that's like the linchpin issue of this this whole discussion so taylor Um, what is the thesis of your paper so i triage i attempt to triage the the three problems that i think policymakers are trying to solve when we talk about teens and social media uh child sexual abuse material which we'll refer to as csam in the rest of the episode csam acronym bad stuff horrible like horrendous Uh, you can't even fathom the depravity of this material um mental health and social media issues okay and privacy issues okay so i walk through kind of briefly this is only like a five page six page paper so it's it's not that long so i briefly over overview those issues what do what do we know about the problem and then what do we what are the known solutions to help mitigate those problems and I say triage because I think the, the CSAM issue is uh, we know it's very clear what the problem is there. And there's also known gaps. And so like, the solutions are fairly clear, you know, resources for law enforcement, mm. uh, whether that's, you know, enforcement itself, but then also just mental health resources for the officers investigating these cases, which are very time intensive, mm. labor intensive. We say officers are these who who is who does these investigations? Uh, federal law enforcement agencies, local law enforcement, state law enforcement. Um, oftentimes, it'll be it'll start at the state level and work its way up. Okay. Um, but there and so is, you're saying they're under resourced. Yes, under resourced. Okay. Um, 
And then there's the, the teens and social media mental health discussion, right? Is social media causing rises in depression, suicide, self-harm uh, for teenage users? Um, and I outlined the research there, and this is maybe where our contention is. I think it's, it's muddled. <laughs> it so you only clear. talk about like depression, suicide, anxiety. Like, do you talk about just general like it's changing the kids brains uh no i think that's that was probably outside the scope um got it so just like you know psychological harms like negative mental health effects is a clinical way to put it is it making the kids feel bad and there's a whole bunch of work this is very like a popular uh discussion and at best the research is correlational and not causal so there's not a it's difficult to draw a direct link between say hours on uh instagram and then a rise in depression or anxiety um there are studies that show what correlational linkages and but you know does is social media the main cause or driver between say uh rising self-harm suicide and depression amongst teens. No, that, well, we may even get back to that. But the third thing is is privacy issues, so access to data for teen users, and that company uh, access. To company data. access, yes, 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 yeah. To send them good clarification advertisements and right, like why go into more for people who aren't steeped in tech policy, <laughs> like why is this a concern? What are people worried that companies are doing with the data? Maybe we'll start with an example. So there are policymakers have talked about targeted advertising, like banning targeted advertising. So this would be uh, for teens. So uh, use the example of Facebook again. Uh, well, I don't know. Well, we shouldn't talk about Facebook because kids aren't even using Facebook. It's <laughs> right. like they're down. Numbers are going down, down, down. The overwhelmingly popular social media uh, app for kids is YouTube. Like 95% of kids are reported to YouTube. frequently visit YouTube. Oh, I thought you were going to say TikTok, but nope. it's YouTube. TikTok, TikTok is only like 66%. Uh, Instagram, a little under that. Uh, Twitter is like in the basement. Um, it's only like 50 and 60 year olds using Facebook. <laughs> basically, yes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so you, YouTube will say. So it says, say, say YouTube knows you're a 15 year old male in los angeles targeted advertising will then like an advertiser could say i want to reach the 15 year old boys in los angeles and then they'll feed them ads based on that information so targeted advertising you can even like way granular more granular than that like a hundred different right, probably right, data right. points like who like nerf guns or whatever right so policymakers want to ban that because they think it's it's harmful like it could lead to say uh, bad products being sent their way or whatever um or some people I think with these privacy issues there's kind of a sense of creepiness right it's creepy for companies to know that much about mm. you which is kind of a squishy thing and one person's creepiness is another person's benefit which this has always kind of been a concern even like ads targeted toward kids on tv that's always i mean that was a concern yes um, and I talk about that in the paper. Did uh-huh. you bring that up because of that? Oh. You read my paper. You have it memorized, yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> so actually in the late 70s, early 80s, the federal government undertook this whole like massive, like the academics were involved, Congress was involved, federal regulatory agencies were involved, banning advertisements on television to kids. Right, right. So there's this whole effort, and it was, it's called KidVid, KidVid Proceedings. So three years, 6,000 pages of reports. They get to the end and say... 
it won't make any difference to do anything so we're not going to do anything oh wow yeah because wow. the whole like, the concept concept then of course is like cable tv and broadcast tv like we don't want sugary cereals I was like, sugary cereals right, right? <laughs> or like you know toys that are bad or what have you and of course it's a different media environment than the one we have now right it's much more limited and more gatekeepers blah 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 but i think there are lessons to be learned from those years right like thousands of people involved six thousand pages of material and they got to the end of it and said actually studies aren't conclusive enough we're not going to do anything wow so then there's you know and look at all of us who ate too many sugary cereals (laughs) no just kidding uh semi-popular i don't even know semi-popular podcasts or something uh that's all we've done Man, this podcast could have been better had I not eaten the fruity pebbles. <laughs> <laughs> we have tens of dozens instead of handfuls of dozens <laughs> of listeners. So uh, those are the three issues that I outline. Then I, I walk through like some of the solutions, proposed solutions. And maybe that's what we could talk about. I mean, uh, I don't know. What, what do you want to talk about? Yeah, I would. Because this is contentious. We disagree, I think. Let's get to solutions at the end. I think we should get into the meat of... Um, the problems are there problems because if you're a parent you're probably paying attention to this issue yes i think so especially like you know we're we're little kid parents so we're not there yet right because obviously our three and a half year old does not have a smartphone or is asking for one or anything (laughs) right it's just watching paw patrol on tv um (laughs) maybe there's three and a half year olds out there who are surfing the web but Ours is not. Correct. <laughs> um, so it's, you know, we're, we're not there yet. However, um, I think, okay, so first, the the first bucket of CSAM material, obviously bad, yes. obvious solutions that law enforcement needs yep. to go after this. And that's where a big focus should be. I don't think anyone would disagree with that. Right. So I'm not going to dig in there. I will, I mean, maybe this will be relevant to later discussion. I think there is like a... A way you can go too far to mitigate so i was surprised to learn a few years ago that zoom is i was called by one of these experts uh the netflix for pedophiles Ooh. because it's you know there's the live streaming either sharing photos or like actual like live you know abuse wow and so you're saying people use zoom yes. for that purpose yep Ugh. or other just like you know facetime probably is used uh, right. any other kind of live video and like how do you prevent that oh, like that's gosh. really difficult and it's think, happening real time it's not living anywhere yeah so like the solution this person on stage said is like we should make live streaming illegal oh <laughs> and right like all you can think of all the like potential gosh, issues yeah. so I, I think there is like a and i totally get where they're coming from and like you know let's <laughs> like it's so uh, bad I, I, that yeah, you want to yeah. go to the extreme yeah but anyway i think just as an illustration of like i think with all these complex t- topics and issues i think there are there are trade-offs to be made and i think there is uh like a too far right i mean you i think you told me the case about a dad who had a picture mm-hmm. of his child like taking a bath and it was uploaded to the cloud yep. on his phone. Like our phones automatically upload our pictures to the yep. cloud. And then he was arrested for yes. CSAM because this was seen. Yep. Yeah. And yeah, Google shut down all his services because the they're, they're, they're doing the right thing. They're scanning their photos in the cloud and it incorrectly flagged this photo. And even San Francisco law enforcement verified, okay, he's not abusing his child, but still Google like, at least last I heard, that like Google had not reinstated 
his accounts. But anyway, account. okay. So. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so it, it it can be tricky, but there are some clear things to do. Yes. Where, I I mean, I think the second bucket of mental health and harms is a little bit. I mean, it is it is the most difficult question, I think. Um, and you know, you you say that these studies don't show causation there may be some correlation Mm -hmm. but it's just really hard to make that connection and sure those you know studies whatnot but i think i i don't know of any parent and maybe i talk maybe moms versus dads are different on this but (laughs) i don't know any mom of a preteen or a teen that says like yeah, being on social media, there's no no mental effect on my child. Mm-hmm. It's no big deal. I I don't know any mom who would say that. <laughs> and right. so, I mean, yeah, that's not a hard study. It's not scientific, whatever. Right. But I, there is this level of like trusting moms <laughs> and their instinct for their kids yeah. and yeah. if every single mom is saying this that they even i'm friends with a lot of really smart moms who like work in public policy and you, you are know, and, you and, are and they don't feel like they have a handle on being able to adequately you know have a control have a good ethos for their kids use and and mm-hmm. be able to have it under control it feels very out of control right mm-hmm. that these companies have not made it easy for them to monitor what the kids are their kids are doing and mm-hmm. 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 um you know and there is an aspect of parents have always felt like you know once in the teenage years you can't control everything your kids are doing and there's a level of trust and whatnot right but right 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 right, right. It just feels that, especially, you know, I hear for teen girls, this pressure, right, of my, my you know, 14-year-old is on there and sees that she's not invited to all the other parties or yeah. I just, you know, the the videos that are like teen girls dressing up like, you know, 28-year-olds with makeup and, and like beauty YouTube and all that sure. just was not around when I was a kid. Right. And it's hard enough being a teenager essentially and then this added pressure um from social media being always on you can't just leave and go to the safe haven of your home after school Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's always following you right 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 yeah so the caveat to all this right uh maybe a couple things right it's uh being a teenager is difficult in in any age being a teenager is difficult other caveat I think the the generational differences with any new technology or any like you know generation is the, the the classic kids these days motif. So I think there's it can be difficult from like one generation to the next to interpret what's going on and like what's you know good or bad. Um, so I don't I don't think I would dispute you know in I mean it's who disputes you know personal anecdotes like experience i don't want to do that Um, but it's not just a one-off i would say it's every single mom of a teen girl so or boy and i think okay then it's it's a matter of what's the what's the issue there is it you know is it amounts of time spent on an app is it 
seeing then how the app makes them feel is it i mean you know is it uh how they're using it or not using it you know they're um i think with all these things it can also be so yeah so uh (laughs) there's so many factors that go into uh mental health and uh just negative mental health effects like i looked at their one federal agency had a hundred variables tracking mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. what goes in this. And you'd mentioned, you know, going home to a safe environment for some teams. That's not teens. That's not the case at all. True. And maybe like the examples of your friends, like those are safe environments where there is like, you know, good socioeconomic structures. And it's like probably like the perfect environment in many ways. So is it, if it's a matter of, you know, too much time um, being spent, you know, you can, there are rules and tools, I think, that, you know, parents can utilize. Family Online Safety Institute has a whole list of tips and tricks. Um, I think you're right about the tech companies. They have not adequately stepped up to the plate on making parents aware of, like, the own tools that they provide. Like, I've been surprised. Or when, made them easy to use. Yes, yes. Yeah. yeah, right, right, right. Like, I've been surprised uh, how often I'll talk with, you know, your knowledgeable friends about, did you know that there's a YouTube for kids app, app or did you know there's a Spotify for kids or did you know Google has a whole, you know, suite of resources for, for teens and parents. And often the answer is surprise. Like, so, and I think, you know, companies like meta right now, they're, they're waking up to this. I think they've poured more ad money. They've developed new tools for Instagram, especially, um, I've heard some say there are too many tools, like it's 30 resources <laughs> <laughs> right? to like set timers and reminders. And they're doing some nudging of like, hey, you've been looking at a lot of uh, Instagram reels about, I don't know, cars. Like how about looking at these about uh, like hiking or uh, nature uh-huh. walks? And I think there's something there. And I think overall, like this issue is just so... It's difficult to have a one-size-fits-all set of solutions. Right. So I don't want to tell anyone out there who is like has a teen and is, they're struggling and like everyone's kind of de- having difficulty dealing with these tools. I don't want to tell you like you're wrong or you know you're making things up in your head. Like it's probably actually the case, and there's probably like a, a tailored way to help that teen in their spot deal with those issues. And I, I guess what I fear is like this whole discussion going to the extreme of um, like right now in Texas, there's a bill to make social media illegal for users under the age of 16. Yep. Uh, they would ban social media for minors under the age of 16. And I think that would throw out the window, like the benefits that teens get from social media. And I think there is this like happy medium that is better sorted out in uh, local communities within families at the like the private corporate level um, than like a government ban mm-hmm. on minors. I think that's like the wrong set of solutions, and uh, I think that's kind of where like the, the 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 discussion, at least at the policymaker level, can easily go. Yeah, and I want to avoid that. You know, in some ways, I don't think it would help. I don't think it would even help. Like, I don't think it would. It's not know, enforceable. Like, we could spend another twenty minutes outlining like what that could actually look like. And I talk about this in the paper, like just one example of like how you actually enforce that. And then would it actually like help teens and probably not like in all, in all likelihood it would end up hurting the very people that policymakers are trying to help. Right. Because you know, whatever you do to enforce that teens are going to then go around it and then they'll end up on, you know, totally out of their parents view. Right. 
Right. And like, you know, if you ban targeted advertising for kids, for instance, like to get into that issue, I think, you know, you're, you're throwing out the window, like good targeted advertising or like helping them find mental health resources. Like over and over again, teens talk about how social media has helped them find mental health resources. And it's, mm-hmm. it's been a, a, a boon for a lot of marginalized and at risk teens. Right. Right. That's a good point. Yeah. I mean, you know, I hear solutions like groups of parents get together and say, you know, together that like our teens, we're all going to say that they are not getting a smartphone until they're, you know, however old, 16, 18. Um, so like, you know, partnering with other parents and, and I think what's difficult, I mean, this is the difficult question with a lot of public policy questions is that these things really are better handled by, you know, by parents, by communities, mm-hmm. um, rather than like a one size fits all policy. This is the case in a lot of policies, but things that feel really overwhelming yes. often it's like, well, it's just easier if we just, you know, blink ban it or, you know, whatever. Well, that's it is. the argument here is it is overwhelming. Like I think there are people out there who are saying the evidence is so overwhelming that it's bad for teen mental health and that there are these network effects, right? Like kids' friends are using these social media platforms. So like there's no kind of soft communal effort because if you tell, if I tell my teen, Hey, you can't use Instagram. Exactly. It's like, well, my 58 of my friends are using Instagram. Right. So like, therefore we need this, you know, top down oh, man. And I think, you know, <laughs> if we did ban, like, you know, another reason to not do that is it's free speech issues. Like we were, we would essentially be, the government would essentially be closing off teens to speech. And then there's this other argument in this debate. It's like, well, is it a product and not speech? And then you can have that whole discussion. But mm-hmm. I, you know, <laughs> I think, you know, I think we're headed towards probably this world of, like you were saying, uh, more people saying, well, maybe I shouldn't give my 13 year old like a fully loaded <laughs> smartphone. Right. Maybe, or you like shouldn't. my 15, 16 year old. <laughs> um, like we, we don't, you know, uh, let them watch any film out there, or movie. And I think I was thinking, earlier about the and i write about this in the paper like the the violent video games debate uh-huh. i think is perhaps informative here like it's you know digital medium and we're talking about kids and mental health and that was you know hot in the 90s with the mortal Kombat and you know doom after columbine and it's kind of it's very intuitive like this and i think it matches some experience of like well i see my kid playing this this video game and he's you know shooting these demons that are blowing up in blood and like then i see him like outside you know beating up another kid and like there's got to be a link and it's interesting over the you know 20 years of studies and looking at this issue and like policymakers have been involved like we've sort of moved on and adapted right we like i'm not gonna let our you know 10 year old play a maturely rated video game and like the video game system came with these ratings and um i talk about this in the paper the american psychological association reversed its position uh on the linkage between violent video games and violent behavior they they were pro and then they said that is actually not a a causal link so this is all and it's all like it's it's tricky it's tough it's it's slow and i think we're we're figuring it out what are what are some practical things that parents can do if we talk about you know community level I I find uh, the work by Near Eyal helpful here, um, Family Online Safety Institute, um, as well, and I think they they all they all emphasize discussions. So especially with teens, um, having like asking them questions like, how do you how do you use social media? Right? Huh. What do you what do you do? Like what apps are you using? Like, 
who do you interact with like what do you like about it and i think just like starting there i think i mean everyone's different i have no idea you know listeners of teens where you're at but like starting there asking questions just to get the base level like facts just the facts <laughs> and then it's you know coming up together with a plan for usage mm. and i think this is uh, uh i mean i don't have a teen but i i would see this like as a teen like uh, and these authors talk about, you know, positive responses to this question. Like, what is your optimal level of social media usage? Mm-hmm. How much how much do you want to be on your iPad, you know, each day? And I think it's Neri All who talks about, like, consistently teens are having, you know, saying lower huh. amounts of time than their parents expect. Uh, huh. um, so trying that, you know, how, developing a plan together. Like, I know, Rachel, you and I have, like, <laughs> social media app timers right just for our own usage because we want to like mitigate the or we'll tell each other like hey i think man i i'll tell you like i think i'm getting out of control i need to get off instagram during the day you right know, whatever right. it is so you know and i think that that we like you know you, you've said too like we want to help we want to help all our kids become you know from kids and to tweens to teens to young adults um and like then healthy adults and you know keeping these tools completely from them is probably not the best way to help them along their path to adulthood. And instead it's to, you know, walk with them through these tricky situations, keeping in mind, as like we said at the beginning, you know, being a teenager is tough no matter what time of, uh, you know, no matter what era of human history we're in. But I think here in particular, um, the problems have shifted say from like, you know, teens are having less less sex. They're doing like fewer drugs. They're drinking less alcohol, but like it's almost like you push on one side and the problem <laughs> pops up over there. Like here, maybe it's like yeah, they're spending too much time and on social media apps, they're getting cyberbullied. Uh, maybe they're going down rabbit holes that are, are weird or harmful. Um, and I think the other the other set of tools uh, I just want to mention. You know, Wi-Fi routers have uh, parental controls, which I don't think a lot of people know about. Um, setting time limits, turning off Wi-Fi after certain uh, times of night. Of course, then you have cellular network networks. You know, keeping phones outside of bedrooms, screens outside of bedrooms can be helpful. Um, demonstrating that yourself as a parent. Yeah. Right. Uh, you know, you don't have to use your phone as a, an alarm clock. There are you know cheap, <laughs> cheap alarm clocks out there. Yeah, I think I saw someone maybe near y'all or or one of the resources you had about just like, all right, it you know. 10 o'clock or whatever, everyone puts their phone in the charging basket like, yeah. in one place. And so you're all doing it, right? You're not just like rules for thee, but not for me. <laughs> and, you know, or like meal times. You know, you know, I think we have a generally like no smartphone right. rule. If I do, if one of us has to look at it, we kind of make an announcement on why. Um, I think with all these devices too, like it's it's just their, their tools and their, their media ecosystems that, that, that are so, so helpful and they're integrated into our lives and I don't think that's a bad thing and I think there is this kind of default position of like oh it's this wicked thing I need to mitigate but like we just need to be thoughtful about like where and when we use these and I think for everyone that's going to be different I think for certain seasons of life looking at Instagram eight hours a day might be helpful <laughs> uh, right in certain like it's probably not universally the case but like for some people looking at Instagram at all might be harmful right so they like their standard is zero um, and I think you know, like Nereal says again, it's, you know, it's asking yourself, why am I opening up the social media app? It's asking your teen, Hey, like, why, like, let's look at your, your IO, Apple iOS, you know, screen log, you know, how much time did you spend on these apps? Like, let's look at it together. Like, okay. Like, why did you 
open that, say, waiting in line in the grocery store. Um, it goes back to that David Foster Wallace uh, speech at Kenyon College, uh, you know, uh, talking about being fish in water. Like the value of a liberal arts education is to be able to like, stand in a grocery line and not have to be distracted. It's like kind of take in the world <laughs> as in the beauty and like just be mindful of like what's going on inside you and uh, going on outside your, yourself. Um, so I, I think that's so you're another. saying parenting is a lot of work. I guess so. <laughs> it is. It is. And this is, yeah, this is a real issue. And there's, there's a lot of resources out there. There's a lot of noise out there too. Um, so maybe there's like one other takeaway. It's don't panic. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I think you know, your point of raising kids towards being healthy adults, you know, giving them the tools right when kids go off to college or whatnot, then they have, they're going to have unfettered access, right? Mm -hmm. To phones or out in the world, out of your house, at a friend's house, you know, they will encounter things. And so you can't like being a social media teetotaler at home, maybe throughout, you know, obviously age appropriate and keeping your child's maturity in mind, but being a teetotaler doesn't give them the tools to then handle it when they encounter it in the wild. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm thinking too, like, I don't know, this discussion too, I think t- tends to treat every situation like blanket, like I alluded to earlier. Like not every home is a safe environment. Not every parent, you know, household is a two parent environment. Some are like caregivers, foster parents, grandparents. And, uh, I think there might be room there in that case for like, you know, at the private and public education level, sort of like a know, digital literacy mm. programming, um, you know, how to like good cybersecurity practices, good privacy practices, uh, safety, <laughs> safety. Yeah. Like how to interact online. And I, I, I think we're headed towards that kind of a world just given the ubiquity of, you know, we all have global broadcasting supercomputers in our pockets, <sighs> you know, almost you know, 24 hours a day. Right. Uh, so, I think that as a culture and society, I think we're we're trying to like get a handle on like what that means. <laughs> right, right. Like it's totally, yeah. totally new. All right. So hopefully, hopefully that was helpful. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's hard. It's sticky. I'm kind of a. I mean, we'll see when our kids get older. But I feel like, gosh, I don't. I definitely don't want him to have a smartphone until he's like 16. I think I'm okay with that. I mean, we see, see some products out there that are like stripped down. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you maybe you would have like a maps app, uh, phone texting, right. email, but um, not like a general web browser or something like that. Yeah. We'll find out. We'll find out. Or whatever the device is. Yeah. <laughs> the metaverse classes. All right, we should go to Stingers and Thinkers. All right, Stingers and Thinkers. Taylor, what is your... You want me to go first or do you want to... I can go first. Okay, what's your stinker? My stinker is the third season of Jack Ryan. That's my stinker. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we, we watched it all. Like, I guess it was entertaining, but it was like, uh, this is kind of like just cheap thrills. It was just like they picked every trope of like a spy thriller yeah. and of yeah. a Russian. And, <laughs> and the Russians just, I'm, I'm, I've never been to Russia. I, I don't even think I have good friends who are Russian, but they just didn't seem very Russian. Yeah, it was just very. Yeah, they did not seem very Russian. They, yeah, cultural references just seemed off, and <laughs> it was just like they they used an AI, like <laughs> chat was it Chat GPT? Is that the thing? But worse, 
to <laughs> put together like this is a spy show. True. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was like a an ad lib, like fill in the blank. Did you have a part where they ran? Are there nuclear weapons? Did they visit a confusing amount of Eastern European cities? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was another thing. It was just like I don't even know like why is he there and like where is he going and it's who's the actor Jim. I know. I was gonna say Jim Helpert. <laughs> uh, John Krasinski. John Krasinski. Jim Krasinski. John Krasinski. Yeah. Yeah. I I still can't see him. His face still is very Jim in the office to me. I can't see him <laughs> as like a CIA guy. He's trying his hardest. <sighs> yeah. I mean, this is the third season, so and it's popular. But yeah. Yeah. It was not a uh, not the best. Womp womp. <laughs> yeah. Stinker. Stinker. What was your thinker? My thinker. Wait, I'm forgetting what I had. Oh. Oh, no, I remember. Okay. My thinker is not because I love it. It's because I am intrigued and it's giving me lots of thoughts on the world. But it is, hmm. of course, Prince Harry's memoir, Spare. And I, you know, I disagree with a lot of their approach to things and their... Uh, Treatment of a beloved institution, the hmm. British monarchy. Uh, maybe <laughs> beloved by some. Beloved by some. <laughs> um, not Americans. Not, yeah. <laughs> Actually, a lot of people, I guess. No. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Most of the globe. And just his treatment of his family and you know, okay. all of that. But I do find it intriguing. Um and just, you know, hearing from him the deep sadness of his life of, hmm. you know, losing his mother when he was younger, of being hounded by the terrible British paparazzi that are just brutal. Um, so it made me really sad for him. And as much as I I don't agree with a lot of what they have done and how they have handled things, you know, and... Hmm. But it has given me a lot of like, oh, it's really sad how you all have lived and, you know, or stuff you had to deal with and, you know, like the racism toward his wife in the press and all of that. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah. So it has it has helped me see, you know, all sides of it. Hmm. And are you glad you're reading the book? I'm glad. I'm, I, I wish I actually would have done it on audiobook. Oh. I have heard because he's kind of like jokey in it, and I think it would have been better hearing it in his voice telling. Like, oh, he read it. The jokes, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, so I've heard from other people that it was good to listen to an audiobook. So I would have done that instead of reading it. Oh. and why it's called spare because I guess his whole life, um, William is the heir of the throne, uh -huh. and he is the spare, the second born. You know, and so he kind of which is also sad had this running subtext in his life that everyone called him the spare i think he says that like his dad says that like when he's bored <laughs> man even if you're a prince life can still be hard right right even if you're Oof. living in a mansion in montecito <laughs> <laughs> i think about that often Making multi-millions of dollars off yeah. of your book and netflix on top of your already large amount of wealth because <laughs> it's not money and fame huh it's not. Oof. Ecclesiastes. Boom. Uh, thank you for sharing that. My thinker is Mouse by Art Spiegelman. M-A-U-S. Okay. Mouse. 
this graphic novel that came out in the early 90s, I believe, won a Pulitzer Prize about... Oh, I thought it was new. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I think it like had a resurgence in the last few years um, about the Holocaust. It's a graphic novel written by this... Uh, Art Spiegelman was the son of a Polish Holocaust survivor who was, was in Auschwitz. And so all the, the Jews are drawn. And it's all black and white um as mice and then the nazis are cats and like the poles are pigs and like they kind of put this animal and it it kind of goes back and forth between getting the story from his father um who's telling it and it's written in a very like kind of broken english like polish accent way it's like very like visceral and then like telling the story from you know the the early days being put in the ghettos and like the persecution of the nazis had to the jews and being put in the concentration camps and I mean, it's just, uh, there's like so many different sides to it. Of like, it, it was, what's resonated to me was like on the jacket cover, like the survivor of survivors story. Huh. And just, he talks a lot about the fraught relationship he has with his father who, um, you know, like kept napkins from like restaurants cause he didn't want to spend money on others. And, you know, it was really hard on his son and like his mother committed suicide in <gasps> like the late sixties. Wow. And like how that's haunting their family, and like the mother had survived Auschwitz as well. Wow! And like the, and has this at the end like this family tree of you know, sixty names, and there's like ten left at the end. Wow! And I don't know, just I guess I have this thing too where I think every every few years it's it's been helpful for me to read something about the Holocaust, just to remember like how how dark humanity can get, and to to deal with that. And this was just a, it was a very beautifully done, well done treatment, uh, heavy for sure. Uh, but like different than say just reading like a straight up history yeah. nonfiction book. Um, so I'd highly recommend it. M a U S mouse. Wow. Um, for adult readers out there, mature readers. Heavy. Yeah. Mm. Well, Taylor, thank you for sharing your insights. <laughs> I think we... Thank you for listening. We didn't fight too much. We didn't fight too much. At all? (laughs) Next time. We promise, guys, it'll get spicy one of these times. One of these times. (laughs) Thanks for listening.